0: Is there any better way to start off a week in celebrating the resurrection of our Lord than singing together as our church family? Wow, thank you, Brian and team. That was really encouraging. It's so encouraging just to focus on the attributes of our God and the fact that He is in control and we can trust Him. We uh, are in a series... Here at Faith Bible Church, uh, entitled Jesus as Lord. And I encourage you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're just going to be looking at five verses today. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verses 13 down through verse 17. In our series on Jesus as Lord, we have, we started out by noting Uh, passages where the phrase Jesus as Lord stands for the fact that Jesus is God. We started in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 and noted that Jesus as Lord, meaning Jesus as God, is the object of our faith that in order to be a Christian, in order to be in right relationship with God, We must believe that Jesus is God, that he died in our place and then rose again from the dead. And as the Apostle Paul wrote, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He was saying in that passage that it's central that we believe that Jesus is God. Then we went on the following week to Mark chapter 12 verses 35 through 44 where Jesus himself attributes the fact that he is Lord to him, he attributes that to himself. And he he makes the point that as Lord he is both God and man. If he was not man he would not have been able to die for us. If he is not God, he would not have been able to rise from the dead. And following those two passages of Scripture, we made these two conclusions. The reality of Jesus as Lord calls his disciples to life-altering choices. And we also concluded that the reality of Jesus as Lord has everything to do with how we live our lives. We then started talking through passages, continuing to use that title, Jesus as Lord looking at the ramifications of what it means to have Jesus as Lord. We went to uh, Mark chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3, where Jesus refers to himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. And we noted in that passage that the Pharisees were so busy criticizing Jesus' disciples that they missed Jesus. They did not recognize his authority. And, and we noted the truth there that when a person is, is has a critical spirit, they are not recognizing the lordship of Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at Romans chapter 14 verses 1 through 12 and we noted that Jesus as Lord affects how we accept each other. That each of us are to yield to Jesus' lordship in our lives, and in so doing, we will be gracious to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, today we come to 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 13 through 17, a central passage Using this phrase, Jesus as Lord. And this is such an important passage because Peter is already addressing Christians. The people to whom he is writing already believe that Jesus is Lord, meaning they already believe that he is God. They believe that He is the God-man. They believe that He died in their place on the cross. They believe that He rose again from the dead. They are Christians. And yet, in this passage, as Peter is writing to those who were already Christians, he is going to ask them to do something. He is going to ask them to sanctify Christ As Lord in their hearts. Now, they already believe that Jesus is Lord. They believe that He is God. So, what is Peter asking them to do when he charges them to sanctify Christ as Lord in their hearts? And we're going to see that this passage gives us biblical warrant To conclude that there is, as Christians, a decision that we need to continually make regarding Jesus' lordship. They're already Christians. They already believe that he is God who died for them and rose again from the dead. They are already in right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, Peter says, Sanctify Christ... As Lord in your hearts. And so as we unwrap this passage this morning, that's the phrase that's key to us. That's what we are asking. What does Peter have for his original readers? What does Peter have for me to learn about Jesus' Lordship here in 1 Peter chapter 3? I'm going to read the verses out loud. You can follow along in your copy of the Bible. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible, 1 Peter chapter 3, starting to read in verse 13 down through verse 17. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but... Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it's better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. My father-in-law and mother-in-law have set some traditions in the family. And one of the neat traditions that they have done is when every grandchild graduates from college, they give that grandchild the same gift. And it seems a little bit obscure, but I really think it's a cool gift. Every grandchild gets a fireproof safe from Grandpa Friesen. and it's cool. I kind of like, hey, Grandpa, why don't you send one my way? I mean, it's it's pretty nice. It's a good size. It It's, it's like a, you know, like a decent sized box. It's big enough to hold a title to your house or the abstract. It's, it's big enough to put quite a few important papers, some, some valuables, some things that you really cherish. But it isn't big enough to hold everything that a person would value. You have to make some decisions. What are the most important things to me that I will put in my box? What's most important to me? And that's the question that Peter is going to challenge you and challenge me with as we Unfold this passage as we unwrap it. What's most important to me? Peter here is writing to people who are hurting. He is writing, writing to people who are suffering. And up to this point in this letter, entitled first Peter he has been encouraging his readers in the midst of suffering to live their lives in such a way that Jesus can be seen in them that that those around them will see Christ in them that Jesus Christ will be making such a difference in their lives while they go through suffering that those around them will take note and wonder what's different about them, that that Christ will be lived out through their lives as they are on the journey upon which they find themselves. And as the letter progresses, Peter not only challenges them to allow Jesus to be seen in their lives, but he's challenging them to yield themselves, to submit themselves to to whatever Jesus Christ has for them in the midst of their pathway in the midst of their suffering. And in with that background we come now to chapter 3 verse 13. In, in verse 13 and in the first half of verse 14 the apostle Peter is asking his readers To have a paradigm shift. To think differently about suffering than maybe they've ever thought before. That maybe God is in this. Maybe God has something for me in the midst of this pain. That maybe... God is actually favoring me, allowing me to endure this suffering for Him. And to lay that groundwork... to to lay down that foundational shift in our thinking so that that we see that we are privileged recipients of God's favor if we suffer for, for doing what is right. To lay that groundwork out, Peter begins in verse 13 with a general principle. And the general principle is this. If you want things to go good in your life, do the right thing. Generally speaking, if you want to have tranquility and peace in your life, if you want to experience wholeness in your family, if you want things to, quote unquote, go your way, day in and day out, consistently choose to do the right thing. That's Peter's point. Verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? That's his point. But notice the first little word of verse 14. The little connecting word that's always so important for us to notice when we're reading our Bible. But. So here's the general principle. If you consistently are doing the right thing, things generally are going to go well for you. But, sometimes they don't. Sometimes we actually suffer because we chose to do the right thing. But, verse 14, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Now that, that's a paradigm shift. That's that's viewing things in a very different way than we normally view them. Meaning, I am hurting. People are hurting me. Because I chose the right thing and Peter, you are telling me that I'm supposed to view that as a blessing from God. That that God's favor is on my life because I did the right thing and I'm suffering for it. Peter says, yep. That's how we need to view suffering for doing the right thing. But even if you should suffer for the sake of, because of righteousness. Doing the right thing. Upright behavior. So while you are in a situation, I'm in a situation, we can maybe take the easy way out, we can maybe do what people want us to do, but we choose to do the right thing, and then we suffer for it, Peter says, consider that God's blessing on your life. Consider that God's favor. There is no more fulfilling thing in the life of a Christian than to be used by God as his tool. There is nothing that will bring more joy in your life than for God to use you. And Peter's point that he will be making here is that when we actually suffer for doing the right thing, God has a purpose in it. God wants to use you to make a difference for him in the lives of the people around you when you find yourself suffering because of righteousness. I have a friend who went into business with a buddy of his years ago, and unfortunately his buddy was not a man of upright character, and he ended up being a cheat. In everyday language today, we would refer to him as a scumbag. And he skipped out on my friend and left my friend with nothing but debt and creditors. And my friend was faced with a choice. Do I just walk from this mess and declare bankruptcy? Because the creditors are his neighbors and his friends. Or do I take the hard road and attempt to make things right my friend chose the hard road and ever since all of these years have passed has worked more than one job, his wife has worked more than one job, they're way past retirement age and they're still working multiple jobs, why? Not too many people know, but they made a choice to do what they felt was the right thing. What's interesting to me is the fact that some people do know, and they take note. And they're very much aware that that was not a decision that was made with short-term results but long-term implications, and that life has been hard. And yet, they have had a platform in their community for Jesus Christ, in a very quiet way, to be seen in how they have chosen to live their lives. Peter here is saying, sometimes... We will do the right thing. And the result is going going to be pain. The result will be suffering. And when that happens, we need to take note because God has a purpose in it. In fact, Peter is going to tell us what to do when we find ourselves in that very situation. He's going to tell us what to do in the second half of verse 14 down through verse 17. And in those verses we're going to see two things that we shouldn't do when we find ourselves suffering unjustly. And one thing that we should do, and the thing that we should do that we're going to see in verse 15 is this. Set Jesus Christ apart as having first place in our life. Set Jesus Christ apart as more important than anything else in our life. To make a conscious decision of the heart to reflect and to ask the question, what do I have in my life right now, in my fireproof box, if you will, that I consider to be most important? And is Jesus in my box? Is Jesus the most important thing into my life, right, in my life right now? Peter puts it this way. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Two things he tells us not to do, not to do. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 8 verse 12 and says, when you find yourself suffering at the hand of someone else, because you did the right thing, here's two things not to do. Don't fear them. Don't be afraid of them. Don't fret at what they are going to do to you. And secondly, don't be troubled. Don't, don't allow their hurt to cause you angst. To, to keep you up at night. To, to trouble your heart. No. We don't have to fear them. You did the right thing. So when we find ourselves suffering for doing what is right because of righteousness. Suffering because we chose to do the upright thing. Peter says, don't do these two things. Don't fear them. Don't allow yourself to be troubled, but rather sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Now, this is a very important phrase in our study. Remember, these people are already Christians. So Sanctify Christ as Lord is saying more than just believing that Jesus is God. They already believe that Jesus is God. So what is Peter asking them to do? He's asking them, in a sense, to make yet a second decision about Jesus Christ. They already believe that Jesus is God. They are already Christians. They already believe that Jesus died for them and rose again. But now he's saying, I want you to continually, as you face this trial and this trouble in which you find yourselves, I want you to continually set Jesus Christ apart as Lord. He says, sanctify Christ as Lord. The Greek word translated sanctify here is from what Bible teachers call the holiness word group. It's part ...of a series of words all based on one word that means holy. When we talk about something being holy before God, it means simply that it's set apart for God's use. If you remember in the Old Testament, the articles in the temple and the tabernacle that were used for worship were considered to be holy. Meaning, they were set apart just for one purpose to serve God. And here, this word sanctify means to be set apart. It's set apart as something special. It's set apart reserved for God. Now, what are we supposed to set apart? We're supposed to set apart Christ as Lord. Here, Peter's talking about something more than him just being God. In early in our study, we talked about the fact that sometimes the Greek word kurios, which is translated Lord, is used in reference to people, not just God. Sometimes the owner of a vineyard or the owner of a slave will be called the kurios or the master of the vineyard. And here, when Peter says, when you are faced with trials and trouble and pain as the result of doing the right thing, we need to take a step back and contemplate this question. What is the most important thing in my life? And we need to set apart Jesus Christ as master. He needs to have top rule. As Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, he is to have first place in everything. He's number one. And Peter says, when we are faced with trouble, when we are hurting as the result of doing the right thing, don't fear the people are hurting us, who are hurting us. Don't be troubled inside, but rather, take a step aside. Ask yourself, Does God have a purpose for me in this? What's the most important thing in my life right now? And Peter challenges us to make Jesus Christ the number one thing. To make Him master over every aspect of our lives. Peter goes on to tell us that when we do that, we see two results. The first result of having Jesus Christ sanctified as Lord in our hearts, set apart as number one, is that we will always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. When's the last time someone came and said to you, man, I really noticed something different about your life. Can you explain to me why you are treating this person with grace and and yet... I sure wouldn't. Well, maybe one of the reasons why that doesn't happen to us often is that when everything is going great in our lives, it's a little more difficult for the light of Jesus to be noticed by those around us. But when everything isn't great, when we are hurting, when people can see that others are hurting us, And we respond with grace instead of hatred. We respond with forgiveness instead of holding a grudge. Then all of a sudden, there's a difference there that people notice. They are drawn to the person of Jesus Christ inside. The second result that we see here is found in verse 16. When we set Jesus Christ apart as number one in our life, we are going to have a good conscience. It says, and keep a good conscience, or keeping a good conscience. Our conscience is our ability to hear the Spirit of God. Not audibly, but it's our ability to know the difference between right and wrong. It's that ability that we have when we are in a Bible study, or in an adult ed class, or a youth ministry uh, on Wednesday night, or we are here on Sunday morning and there's a verse of Scripture that just jumps off the page and hits us and said, that's for me, that's the Spirit of God working in our conscience. It's our ability to hear from the Spirit of God. And here Peter says, if Jesus Christ is number one in our lives, we're going to have a clear conscience because we will be doing everything we can to please Him and not ourselves. And ultimately, Peter says, if you're going to suffer, verse 17, it's better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what's right rather than for doing what is wrong. My wife Barbara and I have been fun, uh, having fun this week thinking about what we are going to do for a little summer break in June. And we have been making, doing some road trips find them very enjoyable, except I'm kind of a destination type of guy, and my wife is an enjoy the journey type of girl. For me, if I have a destination in mind, we need to get there, and we need to get there fast. And as we're driving down the road, Barbara may see a sign that says, well, it says Scenic Outlook. And I might pull off at a scenic outlook, especially if we haven't stopped for four hours and there are also some restrooms there. I might pull off at the scenic outlook, or maybe if there's just really a great promise of something that's just awe inspiring, we could stop for sixty or ninety seconds and take a look at it. Maybe do a drive by stop and let her jump out and no, I'm kidding about that. But we might stop for a scenic outlook, but sometimes you see these signs that say historic landmark. I never stop for those. It's, it's probably going to be a rock with a little plaque on it that says, there was a, a covered wagon that stopped here, and the inhabitants shot a grouse and cooked a meal. And you read the little plaque and you think about it. and say I, I've got a place to go. I, I want to get to point B, and I don't have time to read, stop, and look at this little plaque on this rock about this covered wagon and their supper they had with grouse. No, we've got to go, we've got to go, we've got to go. One of the things that happens when we start suffering is we tend to just put our head down and say, I've just got to get through this. It's almost like we're on the road and there's a storm and we have the attitude of, I'm just going to put my head down and I'm going to drive through the storm. We're just going to gut it out. If we drive hard enough and we keep focused enough, we'll make it through. We'll get through the storm. If we just grit our teeth and put our head down and just stay with a deep resolve to make it. And what Peter's saying is instead of putting our head down and just driving through the storm is we actually should pull off at the historic landmark and just... Take some time in the midst of the storm to think and to reflect. And ask ourselves some questions like, did I cause this pain or did I do the right thing? And if I did the right thing, does God have a purpose for me in it? And is he trying to teach me anything? And, and, and as I look at my life, what place does Jesus have in my life right now? Is he in first place? Am I setting him apart as the most important thing in my life? Is, is I, am I sanctifying him as Lord in my heart? And that's a question we have to ask about Every aspect of our life, our relationships, our, our work, our possessions. In our relationships, we need to ask ourselves as we're suffering unjustly. If Jesus Christ has first place in my life, am I forgiving this one who's hurting me? Even though they don't recognize the need for forgiveness. Even though they don't feel any remorse at all. Am I forgiving them? Jesus forgave me. Am I forgiving them? In my work, am I speaking the truth even if it would be easier not to? Even if, if by speaking truth I'm going to suffer more than I already am? If Jesus is in first place in my life, I will. Or how about my possessions? One of the hardest times I had with my possessions and keeping Jesus in first place was when my father passed away. My father grew up on a farm and my grandparents left half of the farm to my father and uh, my father wanted my brother and I to have that portion of the farm. And we buried my father on a morning. And that afternoon, one of my relatives came into the yard and demanded that we sell to him the rest of the farm. The day of my dad's funeral... And then that relative started to call my mother between 5 and 5.30 in the morning and waking her up and getting angry with her on the phone. And my mom said, you know what, let's just sell it to him. Even though he's asking us to sell it to him at a, at a value that's way undervalued. let's just sell it to him. And now, I was in charge. And I could have told my mom, no way. He's taking advantage of us. He's going to, you, you don't have assets to do that. And by the way, dad specifically said that he wanted my brother and I to have that ground. And if you know me, you know that there'd be, that would be really special to me, to have my own farm ground, put in some habitat for good pheasant hunting. Oh. But you know what? I yielded to my mom. And we sold it. And it was hard. It was really hard. But in reality, it was just a thing. And in the midst of suffering, my mother actually came to the right decision. I'm not sure if I would have. But when she came to that decision, I yielded to her instead of just taking over and said, okay. You see, sometimes you and I find ourselves in a place of suffering unjustly. And instead of just putting our head down and just barreling through, what Peter here says is just take a step aside, reflect, reflect, Be reminded that God does have a purpose in this. That, that we can actually consider suffering because of righteousness, because of doing the right thing, actually God's favor on our life. And that even though sometimes we can't figure out why we're enduring the things we are doing, we're enduring, what the purpose was in it, God knows And there is a purpose that he has for you and for me. Peter says, don't be fearful of people. Don't allow those circumstances to trouble you inside. But rather do this. Set Jesus Christ apart as Lord in your heart. And that's a decision unlike the decision that we make to believe that Jesus is Lord, meaning God. Which when we make that decision, we, we, we put our trust in Jesus Christ and we are forever His. But this decision that Peter is talking about is one we have to continue to come back to. We have to continually evaluate and saying, what do I have in my security box of my heart? What's got first place? And if anything's moved in there and it's taking up too much space, that needs to come out because there's only room For one. And that's Jesus Christ. He is to be set apart. As master. In every part. And when we do that. God can use us. He can use us as his tool. People will see Jesus Christ's life. Lived out through yours even in the midst of the storm. And if someone falsely accuse you, it'll be known, because you, when you set Jesus Christ apart as number one in your life, you will be making the right decisions. And if you're accused, it'll just come back on the accuser, because it'll be so ridiculous, they won't even be able to stand firm. You see, Peter is saying, we sanctify Jesus Christ as Lord in our hearts, by setting him apart, is more important than anything else. Father, we thank you for these verses. We thank you for a paradigm shift, for us being able to view times of hurt and suffering, even because of doing the right thing, in a very different way, that you have a purpose in it, that that you want us to take stock and evaluate, is Jesus Christ in first place? And to put him there. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.